Good evening and welcome to Be Hourglass with Isabella. I'm here with a very special guest today, Miss Christina. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so much for coming. Right now we're sitting on the porch, the chateau, and there are hummingbirds. Yeah, I don't know if everybody can hear them. Yeah, they can totally pick that up on the microphone. So that whistling sound that you hear in the background is the, the hummingbirds that live here. And they're angry because their feeders are empty right now and they're hungry. And so they're looking for their food. It's enough to make anybody angry. Yes, even out the truth of it. So a while back, I did a podcast episode, and by a while back, I mean like a few weeks ago, on death, which I wasn't expecting to be a popular topic, actually. You know, we discussed things like death doulas, just kind of like the midwifery of the death industry. It's a very new kind of new age movement, and uh, some of the history behind embalming and stuff like that. And... It was probably our most popular episode, so much so that we had people asking time and time again, will you do Death Episode 2? I'm sure we can come a more creative name for it than that, uh, but that's the chalkboard we're going on here. But it is my understanding that you used to work in a mortuary, is that correct? Yeah, for a couple of years I worked at a funeral home, actually through college. When I graduated, they hired me on full-time, and probably the most interesting thing I've ever done in my life in terms of a career title is I was a headstone designer. Interesting. So, yeah. So if you think about the people who design those headstones while you're wandering around that graveyard... That's me. It's, it's a beautiful chateau kitten. Yes. <laughs> it's right. She's also a model, is the point, which I find the beauty between those two points is that you can be a model and also, also have worked for a mortician or be a model and be a lawyer or be a model and be a veterinarian. Like, that's such a cool contrast. It's always one of my favorite points to bring up, actually, because it's so unique and interesting. But let me ask you this. How did you get into that work? What interested you in it? So I was actually helping my father put on an art show. And there was this older lady, beautiful woman, beautiful soul, who came up to me and she goes, you just have this wonderful energy about you. Have you ever considered working in the funeral industry? Because I told her that I had been wanting to do something where I could help somebody yes. make a difference in their life. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, have you considered that? And honestly, I, I, I have always been kind of a gothic person. Yes, yes. You know, um, so my whole wardrobe was already black before it's I worked perfect. there. But, uh, you know, I hadn't really seriously considered it. So I called up here in uh, the Colorado area. We have one of the regional um, schools, mortuary science okay, schools. Okay, I did not know that. Yep. Um, there's not one in every state. Cool. So I called her and I said, what would you recommend? And she said, well, before, because at the time I already had two degrees while well, working on nice. my second degree. And I didn't want to go for the third without some background information mm -hmm. and yeah. commitment. So I went and I applied for a funeral home. So cool. I worked mostly at a funeral home here in the you know, Denver area mm -hmm. called yeah. Crown Hill. Nice. Um, and I worked there for about two years and, you know, decided that I didn't want to go for my mortuary science degree because okay. it's a very complicated industry. Do you want tell to us tell us more about what makes it complicated and what was the final decision where you were like, this is actually not something I want to pursue long time. What was the decision process there? And I why? mean, and not to slander anybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't, this is yeah, open conversation. Um, I saw some some ugly things happen um, in the industry that I didn't agree with, um, mainly extorting people who are going through an already right. tough time I've and trying to get as much money out of them as possible for the funeral or the services mm -hmm. or any such thing. 
Um, right, because it's still a business for those other people. And it's not so everybody. Then, and it's, yeah. you know, it's it's only a small group of people, but it bothered me enough that I decided yeah, to leave. But you noticed it in there. Well, here's some other questions I have for you. What, at the time that you worked at, what was, two things, what was your most interesting experience and what was your most terrifying experience? And they're two separate questions. Ah, okay. So... I have actually, I have to warn you, I, I, they make you sign a non-disclosure agreement. Oh, you do an NDA, so, totally. Yeah, um, yeah, that's totally fair. So, I'll try to be <laughs> no as names. detailed as possible, while also being <laughs> slightly vague. Vague, yes. Um, so I'm kind of trying to calculate that in yes, my mind yes. right now. Take, but, take your time on that one. <laughs> I mean, I'll very see. interesting is just some of the things that, that happened there, you know, such as, you know... <sighs> Decedents, which is what they're called in the industry, the people who have passed away, the loved ones, um, you know, ending up. So they're not cadavers; they're decedents. They're actually called decedents. Yeah, decedents. The, the industry never heard lingo. That term before industry um. lingo. There we go, <laughs> so, kids. Decedents. Um, a coworker, and it wasn't during my time, told me that at one point, um, some teenagers on Halloween had pulled up somebody from a mausoleum, pulled them out of their, you know, final resting place mm-hmm. and laid them across the stairs of the ma- the grand mausoleum yes. there, the Tower of Memories at Crown Hill. And, uh, you know, she had seen it and had to call the police. And it was yeah. just a skeleton laying on, strewn across uh, the strewn stairs. Across the and stairs. it's just terribly disrespectful. But, right, the memory um, of that person. Absolutely. She had mentioned that. But I think one of the most touching things that happened to me was before I had been working at the funeral home I had actually interesting fact never seen a dead body in my life that's super interesting yeah. to me and what was it like the first time you saw the dead body terrifying because the <laughs> one of the funeral directors came in yeah. and she found out and of course she's you know very excited she wants to be the person to break <laughs> my cherry you know so to speak if that's appropriate I bet they were death, very eager yeah she's like and we went into the room of a person who was getting they were ready for their visitation mm-hmm. to spend time with their family yeah and um I was fine seeing them, and then she goes, well, go ahead and touch them. And I'm like, what do you mean touch them? I'm, this is like the first time I've yeah. even seen a, a, yes. a body, yes. let alone touch. And, you know, I respectfully touched them on the arm just yes. to see what it was like. And it came in handy because one of the most touching moments I had was I had a family come to me, and they said, can you put this uh, boutonniere on my loved one in their casket? And if it hadn't been for that funeral director having made me brave enough to that you could touch have broken that and barrier, that, yeah, interaction with a dead body, it, I think I would have been even more scared to do it. Yeah. But when somebody is relying on you, you to take care to of them, do you the do job. it and you pretend yeah. like you have done it a thousand, a thousand times. times. Yeah, which so. I think is something very beautiful to that. And in the previous episode, we were talking about that disconnect we have from death and that isolation from the experience in our modern culture is absolutely huge and I had a very similar story to what you just said where um, Daniel's grandmother had passed away and she had an open casket and I've held people who are dying I've seen dead bodies but after they're dead I've never really you know rigor mortis and everything so I've never gone about touching them right and so Daniel's mother's like the morticians they did such a good job on her makeup I was oh, good. you should come and see and check it out but I was like no I you know I'm okay but like you should come and touch her and I was like no no you know I'm fine over here in the corner kind of still by the body and I thought it's such an interesting thing because I think we've become so alienated mm-hmm. to it and that's why we we're talking about the topic of the deaf doula and on um, midnight gospel which is another 
another podcast, we were talking about how it's okay to spend time with a dead body. Absolutely. You they're, don't have they're to immediately. very safe. Yeah, if it's um, not an emergency, but people are taught through the whole embalming industry to believe there must be something wrong or unhealthy, but all that they can catch something from it, right? And it actually leads onto the topic. Here's an interesting thing about with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. I read this very in-depth article about the emergency morgues that they were using as trucks right. because they ran out of space right. at the hospitals. And so these guys had to improvise because they didn't have enough space. They were doing like 108 bodies per truck, which was a lot. And so they had to implement it's beautiful thunder in the background. Yes, here. this is real. We are outside. This is not added. It's perfect for our spooky topic. <laughs> <laughs> they started building these wooden shelves to help stack the bodies, and they said, they were, first of all, they said it was very heavy. They were never expecting human bodies to be so heavy, but mm. humans can weigh a lot. They vary in. I mean, dead weight. Weight. Dead it's a weight. Thing. It's a term. It's a thing. That's a thing right there. Dead weight. But they were saying, you know, that the some of them still had their ventilator pipes in because the uh. nurses didn't have or want to remove or, or deal with that. And these people working these jobs didn't know if they could catch COVID-19 from the aspiration after you've died when it's released, right? And we still don't actually have the answers for that for what it's worth. But at the time, they were like, doing these high risk jobs and they were saying we will pay you the first day you come in because we don't actually know if you'll come back or not and what a frightening oh my. concept right well you hope they have some level of protective equipment yeah they had gear and yeah, masks difficult. and gloves and all of that stuff and they said they were dealing with a lot of bodily fluids inside mm-hmm. the trucks because they were having to drag people and move them around and then the real sad part of this story that relates to funeral homes as they said they had the funeral home directors would come to claim bodies and unfortunately, in a lot of cases, because of the chaos of COVID-19, they would come to get a body and the body was no longer there or was missing or had already been claimed by another funeral oh, home dear. inadvertently because there wasn't that system in place or digital system to take care of those bodies. And we talk about the toe tag thing. It's mm-hmm. classic. They actually had written um, COVID-19 like on their arms. Apparently, it was wow. the identification, which is unusual. Huh. Yeah. Super, super strange, right? No, but there are definitely, I mean, techniques that they train you on um, at a funeral home in terms of identification. It's obviously extremely important. Um, This is great. This sounds is perfect. Um, I think probably the the saddest thing I heard... um, Yeah, now to have a terrifying story must come... Oh, sad story. You know, is hearing about... So we go through training. Being a headstone designer, I had to confirm the location of where the headstone was going to be placed because through my training they very much so emphasize how important it is not only that the body is placed in the correct final resting place yes um you know whether that's in a ground or a mausoleum but that of course the headstone is because during the training there's this harring um phone call that this sister um calls into the funeral home and tells her story about how the headstone had been placed on the wrong oh god um cemetery plot yeah and she had been visiting terrifying. her brother she thought for some time but it, and wasn't. it turned out it was an empty grave and wow it's this i literally was sitting in the class mm-hmm. just crying and everybody really in the class was quite moved right um because you it's can a mix imagine. up yeah and it's it's an innocent mistake in some respects so you've got this mix up that can affect someone's whole life because they're going thinking they're visiting their relative and then someone else or that's it or it's an empty grave and what terrifying concept but it leads us on to the conversation you know of 
I like to ask everyone who comes on the show, so I'm asking you, and I'm going to keep asking this question. If you had to pick between being buried or being cremated, which would you personally go for? Mm, okay, so I would consider myself kind of a green person. Yeah. Um, in terms of cremation, a typical cremation, and of course there's an aquatic cremation that's coming around where you can be basically dissolved that's cool. as well. Okay. So that's a different type of Didn't cremation. Didn't know about that. So there's maybe another aspect of the question you could ask, but... Um, the emissions that come out from a cremation are equal to and i don't remember the exact statistic um but you know it's equal to this much amount of driving your car interesting um and so they're not as green or clean as people would consider them to be now getting buried in the ground has its own issues because if you are being embalmed right now there aren't a lot of standards about how those bodily fluids of yours are disposed right now often they go right into our sewer system yeah surprise surprise especially in places like terrifying. as well yeah and so it goes into a water treatment system and they have to pull that out of the water yeah so that's not separate green it. either so um my short long answer yeah to get to the point is i would like a natural burial um i'd like a shroud um or Peaceful. nothing at all and i'd like to be basically the phrase of the day is yeeted into the ground but i'd like to be laid directly into the ground um we have a cemetery now in colorado that does it it's called seven stones they're doing natural burials they are amazing they're family owned the people are great i've met them but i I would love to be buried there in that place um, yeah because it can be totally natural the way it should be a body and you're helping feed the the animals and the plants exactly you're returning yourself for energy to them chemical free right Something that terrified me in the previous uh, podcast we did, we talked about, you know, so Daniel's other grandmother had passed away who I'd not met. And um, they said, well, a funeral home, here's this beautiful pink. She'd picked the funeral director's come to house. They said, you can pick your funeral, you can pick your casket color, your clothes you're going to wear, etc. And she had picked this baby pink coffin. And um, they said, look, it's got this pipe on it. And he was like, what's the pipe for? Like, well, we're going to suck all the air out so that we right. can extra preserve it uh, on top of the gimmick. embalming. And I'm like, but what is the real purpose of that? And how terrifying that sounds to me. And in the basement here, but actually right below where our feet are, I have a real coffin yes. sitting there. And it's actually, it was a display one that we would mm. use in the funeral home. So and I have do. some at my house too, yeah, actually. Totally. <laughs> Beautiful. There we go. Uh, and as you know, we do vampire events. So if you're wondering why I have a real coffin in my basement, that's the reason. Uh, we use it for props and such. You need like a ding cheap plug for the Denver Vampire Ball. Yeah, right there. Yes, <laughs> yes. Join Denver Vampire Ball. Come, it's ding. awesome. <laughs> Come, it's awesome. Uh, but yes, I just find the whole process fascinating. And they discussed on the previous podcast about how embalming was very much this invented trade mm-hmm. during the Civil War t- to keep preserve these bodies long enough to get them on the trains because people were like, well, we don't want this on the trains. Right. The intention back. was great. The intention was great. And what happened is it created a whole flourishing industry of embalmers. And then they didn't want to lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. Cr- so what happened was they were trying to keep the industry alive to this day mm-hmm. is what's happened. But is it a bit of a falsehood that you need to be embalmed or it's unhealthy to allow your body to naturally decay? Of course, it's the most healthy thing in the world. Yeah. I think we need to eliminate a lot of the fear about death, and I'm Absolutely. sure you'd agree with I think all of us grew up and we're so isolated from death, and you and I have seen dead bodies, our own way and stuff, but most people will never see that directly. You'll take your loved one to the hospital and they pass away, and it's in the hospital. Oh, it's great with the thunder. You don't get to have a um, a wake at the house anymore. 
you don't get to spend time with the body at the house anymore. You used to actually die in your bed at the house. Traditionally, that's what would happen in your own space. And now it's, it's in hospitals. Yes, the morning room. Now it's in hospice. Now it's in hospitals. I don't think anyone really wants to die in a hospital. It's a very clinical, stale environment. But if you die surrounded by your loved ones at home, I think it's the best anyone could really hope for. And that's, people should know their rights and they should know what the options are. Please do research if you have questions. That's good. Tell us about that. What are the rights? I mean, do you have a right to die at home? Do you have to be in a hospital? What's the deal there? I mean, if you're if you're cognizant and you can make decisions for yourself and I'm no expert um, if you do want to know more about this um, one of my favorite people to follow is uh, she's called Ask a Mortician it's Caitlin Dorsey Ask a Mortician I feel like I've heard of her she's amazing cool Um, please look into her as well if you have more questions but um, I mean if you can still make decisions for yourself or if you've written in into your instructions you know I believe that you do have a right to be at home absolutely Um, but in terms of you asking me if I'd like to be buried or cremated I think to me the more important thing is I want my family to be involved with the process of caring for my body. Yes. I would love to die at home if possible. And I would love for my family to be the one that cares for my body. For example, right. if my Take husband were to pass away, you and this Caitlin Doherty explains it in Ask a Mortician, you can put your family member on ice for several days. Yeah, and it's okay. And Her it's okay. And you can spend time with the body. You don't, mm-hmm. if it's not an emergency or a murder or something serious, you don't have to, it's not an emergency. You can spend several hours, but it's not going anywhere. It's not going to immediately decay everywhere. Right. You can totally put it on ice. I think that's very important that you can spend time yeah. and, and, and acknowledge that person, in fact, they've passed and mourn because I think we skip a lot of that mourning process and we're not allowed that experience no. anymore. But how powerful, like if my how husband powerful. were to pass away, I would want to do his hair, make sure his beard were trimmed. Right, make sure he's looking um, okay. You and, know, yep, take 100%. care of him um, because that's the person that I love most in the world. In the world. And I can't imagine somebody else cold, like... And Colts. I don't, you know, but yeah, touching who, who doesn't know it. him. Yeah, it's almost, to me, it's kind of offensive. But if that's your choice, you know, I understand not everybody is able to make that decision. And it can be a very hard thing for somebody a- to absolutely. do. Absolutely. But Here, Here's an interesting thing. I knew a chap, he worked with a mortician in the UK. Mm-hmm. As well, I was at Winchester University studying archaeology. He was also on the same course as me. Such a funny guy, because here's, here's the curious thing about it. He worked with dead bodies every day, right? But he was deadly afraid of dead animals. Ah. So one time we were on an archaeology dig and we were doing a field dig and we were out walking the perimeter. You set up these lines and stuff for you figure out where you're gonna where you're gonna go for it. And um, there was this dead squirrel on the side of the road and he like he could not handle. It. I thought, well, on your don't you deal with dead people? And he's like, yes, I can handle dead people, but I can't deal with dead animals. And I always wondered. What was that? Like, that you would have one trigger here, and then a very severe trigger over here, and they're completely separate. But dead humans are okay, but dead animals are it's very scary to this guy. But isn't very. that so deeply personal? I mean, everybody yeah. has different thresholds it's for tolerance. so true. Yeah. And, you know, just because I would want to care for my husband at home, you are not a bad person if you take your loved one to a funeral home and have them do everything well, Of course, because sometimes them. you uh, do not want to. But that's the thing yeah. about empowering people in the death you Giving know, them industry. choices. It's, it's, it's your choice, and you can do what you want. Do not let a funeral home tell you with. otherwise, please. And do the, if you are uncomfortable with a funeral home tells you, I think the ultimate is do your research. Yes, and it's great to do it. I mean, I'm the biggest proponent of do your research beforehand because if you have just suffered a loss, 
you are not right, in, in right a bad place. state of and mind. And if you haven't done your research and a loss happens, please reach out to a friend, a trusted friend who can be able to help you, perhaps somebody who's gone through it before mm-hmm. and has gone through this process. Um, you can feel free to ask me questions. I can give my contact information yeah, out. Abso- I'm not an expert absolutely. on everything, but... Um, but it's really cool to hear you speak about it because it's not something, and that's why I'm so happy to have you as a guest today, is because it's not something most people are ever going to get the chance to talk to anyone about. It's such an elusive and mysterious, shrouded, let's unveil it. Let's Pull unveil it right off of death. Take the shroud. <laughs> it's, it's like, we'll talk about vampires for a second here because I oh. think it's important. Is that historically in vampire shows now, everyone always portrays vampires wearing black. We talk about the black. We've got Donald's coat right here. It's black vampire. Coat. Hi Donald. Very hi Donald if you're listening. He was actually a guest on one of our oh, previous podcasts. Good. We talked him. about industry and making materials and stuff and the battle with China. It's super interesting. He's so fascinating. Yeah, he is. <laughs> and, and so vampires were always depicted wearing black. But here's the interesting thing. Historically, that was never the case. Like you or I are dressed in white mm. today. Vampires were always dressed in white. And the reason why is because when they came out of the ground, they were wearing their burial shrouds. And the oh. shrouds were white or cream in coloured so when we think of the ghost in the sheet that actually also comes from a concept of a burial shroud that you're covered in it so when people do their little Halloween costumes with the hulls they're actually doing a burial shroud which is kind of actually freaking cool and just recently you've just taught me something yeah I'll t- I'll t- oh I'm I'll, so delighted <laughs> now I'm going to terrify you something else that you may or may not have seen is just recently they had a new version of Dracula that was released on BBC. Mm. I don't know if you saw it or not. It was written by Stephen Moffat, and um, it takes place for the first first two episodes are fine. They're okay. They take place in Transylvania, and there's some some new stuff like bisexuality of Count Dracula. It's very new, and Jonathan and their relationship, which was cool. But then they do something really weird, which everybody in the world agreed they disliked, where they took it to the future so he was in the past and then he gets somehow lost under the sea Dracula gets lost under the sea bear with me because it sounds stupid and it was and they somehow the Helsing organization this sounds very Alucard now but they recover his uh, body and he's obviously still Dracula they release him he's in some kind of coffin type thing and then he's stalking people in the modern era and Lucy who we know mm-hmm. historically from Dracula in her, this role she's like a, a young socialite clubber who enjoys text messaging and Tinder and swipe left for dates and stuff and so she's like doing these vampire emoticons with Dracula which is so freaking bizarre about how sexy he's may have dates at the graveyard and he's talking about at the graveyard how you can actually hear the voices of people who have been buried so you can uh-huh. hear their cries under the ground and Lucy's like really into it she's not she's almost sociopathic she's not freaked out emotionally at all she's like yeah I want to hear these people this little kid ghost kid well zombie the zombie kid comes out and visits her in her room she's not freaked out at all by this small corpse visiting her whatsoever Dracula has to kill the corpse but in the process of draining her blood as we know in the story Dracula does kill Lucy but before he kills her he said just a reminder please don't get cremated okay and that's like just a gentle reminder mm. she doesn't listen to this or heed the advice um she already has her cremation planned right ah so they take her body in the show to the crematorium and they put her through the whole thing but of course while her body is there her consciousness is still attached she's conscious during the entire cremation experience and because she's a vampire her body can't really decay but it is extremely burnt and malfigured in the most extreme way so Lucy 
but she doesn't know this, right? So she crawls out of the crematorium thing, so you know, they like put you through the system or whatever. She manages to crawl out of it and goes to the house of Dracula, thinking she's still this super hot selfie taking socialite. And uh, her friends are there, who are her suitors, obviously. You've got, um, uh, not Harker, who's the other guy? The rich. Uh, oh. Come on, Arthur. There you yeah. go. Yeah, Lord and Lady Homewood. Arthur Homewood's there, but he's like a young, hot guy in this. And she comes in, she's just this decaying, dragging body. Compl- and Dracula's like, shit, I told her not to get cremated. No. Like, he's really oh, like... Just- yeah, and she's like, I'm so hot. And her friends Literally. are like... Her friends are like, yeah, not, not so much right now. And she takes out the phone to do the selfie, because vampires can't see her reflection in the mirror, but apparently phones are okay in this particular show. She sees that she's a burnt-the-fuck-out cadaver, barely there, and uh, she freaks out, and then she's like, please stake me through the heart to her, it's Quincy, Quincy wants to stake me through the heart, so he stakes her to protect her vanity essentially is the whole story here, but she wanted to be a vampire, but she wasn't hot enough, therefore she had to kill herself, and the whole, it was really I think as a female narrative a very off-putting story because one, Dracula didn't care enough to actually enforce the fact that she wouldn't get a cremation two, she shows up and then her whole life is over because of how she looks, like the body based right. thing, she's like I'm done, like you're no We're, more than that you're no more than that, that was the whole of her existence mm. and then the boy will be ex-suitors are like yeah I'll definitely kill you, you're looking really bad right now, and meanwhile Dracula's like oh, I think she was really beautiful and all this stuff, but it's so unbelievable of a trope you should watch this if you get a tr- especially if you are, have been in that industry and seen it it's very close to home in that i think and the second thing i'll ask you if, if you have and i'm hoping you've maybe seen this is the haunting of hill house ah uh, yes i have yeah that deals wonderfully with the the deaf industry i think do, would you not agree i think so yeah i think they do a pretty good job on that show um you know i I wanted to live in that funeral home. It was beautiful. No, and it was such a romantic. No, is that strange? It was such a romantic notion. And then, likewise, getting us closer to death in TV shows. Uh, Sabrina Spellman, the recent, mm-hmm. the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Spellman, not the one we grew up with as kids, teenage witch, which is great, may I add. But this one, you know, there is a funeral home component there, and the chap in it, he does that funeral work and mm-hmm. I think it allows you as a viewer to get a little closer to it than you might otherwise you know? Right. I think so but I, I I love the fact that both of those, the funeral home is in their home um, which is so cool because it is a home it's, it's very a funeral home yeah. like yeah. this house right now, I know we're going to turn it to one anytime soon, could be a funeral home because it's style and the way it looks and you can do your embalming in the basement and all that stuff and have your normal life when you have the floors. Exactly. Separated. Yeah. But that's, again, bringing the normal everyday life together with death. And that yeah. even that we have separated away with this corporate, you know, I worked for a big corporations, yes. corporate funeral home. And I think that also was part it of It does the, make the, a the, difference, the, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. 100%. I think the family-owned ones, personally, I've never worked for one, but they just... I bet they're lovely. But here's a, here's a weird story. So in Littleton, Colorado... Um, I used to go to this restaurant that always had a very peculiar smell on it. In fact, oh no, smells... which one was this? <laughs> so you you from Littleton, right? So yeah. uh, you know where South Hill Street is? 
Uh, it's where it's okay. Well, just on the corner there is an Italian restaurant right next to a headstone shop where you can get the head, and we have all the examples in the front. Ah, sure. Yeah, so it's actually near the community college, if you know yeah, where yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's right on the corner. So next to it is this Italian restaurant. And I went in there, and every time I went in there, it had such a specific smell. The smell, specifically, because we attach memories to scents, reminded me of when I was in the Isle of Wight, which is a little island below England, and it was my grandfather's funeral. And he had a casket-style, you know, viewing type thing. And um, the smell was very specific. It, it was unique. And there I, is a funeral home smell. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yes. actually the embalming funerals that have a chemical. It's such a very chemical smell. It's very... So I always, as a child, associated the smell of death. It was, like, hand in hand. And so we're sitting in this Italian restaurant, and the whole time, it's the weirdest thing. I've never not, had a complaint like this in my life. I'm like appetizing. Yeah, I'm sitting there, and I'm like... <laughs> this is the same smell that was in the funeral home when my grandpa Daniel's like don't be ridiculous I'm like no I'm I'm gonna ask someone because I'm not gonna like so certain am I of this scent and then it turned out because it's attached to the other building next door that used to do the well still does the funeral headstones this actually used to be the embalming center next Mm. door to it and so they'd only recently bought it out and renovated it so a lot of the the smells and stuff were still in the buildings it had only recently been changed of ownership and i and they told me that and i was like i told dan i was like i knew it and he was like okay you're right and i was like that smell is so unique and it's not one you can really and now that you were i'm sure you know what that smell is it's really interesting because it's like partially okay so i accidentally created the smell because we're Did huge you? into um, like essential oil diffusers. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, tell, I've got it. Okay, so hit it. I'm, I'm trying to remember what the how does one was. create the it's, death smell? So part oh, of it, good. the one half of it was Lang Lang. The, Lang Lang. Um, okay, and I'm trying to, for the life of me, think what the other one was. Well, you've heard the patchouli joke, right? Of all these hippies and hipsters, like I'm wearing my patchouli, but what they don't understand is originally patchouli's purpose was to cover up the smell of rotting bodies. <sighs> it was to help, you know, because back then things used to smell pretty bad worse than they do now so having a stronger scent to cover it patchouli and even frankincense and myrrh they were all used in funeral stuff right the ring around the rosy the pocket full of yeah pocket full of rosy tissue tissue we all fall down and die that's that's great for covid right now i mean little too we should make a new a new i I want to make this book called poems of the pandemic and they'll be like very short very satirical but dark but funny poems about lockdown and oh, you've all come the... to the right place yeah we should just <laughs> compose a square oh we've we've just we've crossed our time oh, we did it we did it we did it we're only 27 <laughs> seconds too late which is actually amazing because we have the the it's done its job the hour it's actually a half hour glass has done its job but i just take a moment to thank you for joining us tonight and how wonderful and refreshing it was to have you with guests and if there's one thing you want to take away with guests about death or fear of death what is what is the takeaway thing you would tell the listeners who maybe are afraid listening this i mean put yourself out there um push your comfort zone and just be prepared you know know that we're all going to pass away and try to have a plan yeah try to have a plan and communicate to your loved ones what that is if at all possible not everybody is open to that conversation my own mom is very sensitive to it mm-hmm. and i cannot have that conversation with her because she becomes too upset right, but, upset by you understandably know, my husband knows exactly and i know what he wants when we both pass away and it's That's so good. important and get it in writing 
yes, for me, Daniel's in for a difficult time because I'm like, yes, I need an ancient Egyptian burial. So you're going to have to have canopic jars and a tomb. He's like, shit. <laughs> Which is very cool because at one time I actually wanted to be mummified too because Perfect. I was so fascinated I love with Egypt. Mummification. So yeah, we'll have to have a Make whole episode just dedicated <laughs> to ancient Egypt. So without further ado, thank you so much for joining us tonight and sweet dreams. <laughs>